The sixth chapter of the book of Galatians, beginning at verse 14. But may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, a new species of being. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus, the stigmata of Jesus. Now there was an old song that we used to sing when I was a kid growing up. We don't sing it that much anymore. Back when Moses was an RA and I was an RA, we, uh, we sang this song a lot. It's, the way of the cross leads home. It goes like this. I must needs go home by the way of the cross. There's no other way but this. And I'll never get sight of the gates of light if the way of the cross I miss. What that song says is that there is a crossway of life. A way of the cross, a crossway. Unfortunately, for some of us, we visualize the cross as a way into the Christian life. And when we get into the Christian life, we lay aside the cross. It's kind of like a ticket, you know, gets you in the door. Well, once you get in the door, you don't need the ticket anymore. And so we come by way of the cross into the Christian life, and we ignore the fact that the crossway is the lifestyle every believer is to live. Every church has its symbol. The church has many symbols. We have these fish that we wear on rings, you know, and we have bumper stickers, and we have these crosses that we wear around our necks. And the reason we do that is because we want the world to know that we belong to the Lord, you see. And so we wear these symbols, these images, these pictures, so we can tell the world that I belong to Christ, you see. The Apostle Paul said, I've got my own symbols. And the symbol I wear is not worn on my finger like a ring or around my neck on a chain, I literally, he says, bear the cross mark upon my life. I literally bear in my body the symbol of the cross life and that's my lifestyle, the way of the cross. And so he comes to the end of this epistle and he is kind of summarizing it's the epistle and by the way, the Galatians, the Judaizers were after him, and, and uh, that's what Galatians is about. These Judaizers were trying to talk the Christians into coming back and embracing Judaism, kind of adding Jesus to the law, so to speak, adding Jesus to Judaism. And they're assaulting the Apostle Paul's apostleship, and they're attacking his authority and his his honesty is being assailed. 
And the Apostle Paul says in the last of this epistle, Now, let no one, don't bother me anymore. I don't want anybody challenging my apostleship. We'd say it like this. Now get out of my face. Because it's obvious who is my master. And it's apparent whose symbol I wear. And you don't have to look far, he's saying. You don't have to look very far. And you can see the cross as a symbol of my life. And the characteristics of the cross life are the characteristics of my life. And that ought to be enough for you, he's saying. Everybody bears the mark of his master. You don't have to look too far to see the mark of a drug addict or an alcoholic. He bears those marks, it's evident. You don't have to look too far to see the, the, the marks, one whose life is promiscuous. And so I want us to take these, this image and I want to see how it relates to us. To ask this question, we all have to answer. What characterizes your life? Does the cross symbolize your life? All right, first... The cross symbolizes our position as slaves. Now the word translated servant here is really the word that means bond slave. Now we translate that servant because we've Americanized it. And our image of that word is kind of like a religious Mr. Belvedere, you know, with his nice suit on and just got it made. I want you to know that that word means much more than that. It means that when one is a servant, a bond slave, he is lock, stock, and barrel, possessed by someone else. So that if you say that you are a servant of Jesus Christ, it is your admission that Jesus owns you lock, stock, and barrel. And he's describing the, the condition of 60% of the people in his day who were bond slaves, owned and owned by some master, and that master had the right to kill his slave if he wanted to. He had that authority. Occasionally somebody will say to me, what God would allow this tragedy? Well, the right of ownership means that God has the authority to give and take away. He had the right as master, this master, to kill his slave if he wanted to. If a slave wanted to get married, he had to ask his master's permission. If he, wanted to have, if he wanted to have children, he had to ask his master's permission. And those children became the sole property of his master. Does that bother you a little bit? When I entered college at Hardin-Simmons, I, I met a guy named Dan Oglesby. Now Dan was this wiry little guy who was pastor of some little country church out near Abilene. The difference in Dan Oglesby and the rest of us was that he, he was called to preach when he was young, but he didn't surrender until he was 40. And God called him out from under a, an old diesel truck. He was a diesel mechanic. So he was a wiry guy, and, and he was a 40-year-old freshman. He kind of stood out among all us 18-year-old freshmen. We called him Pops. Old geezer, 40 years old, you see. And one day some guys were in conversation, they were talking, and one of them said to Dan, in Dan Oglesby's presence, he said, you know, I just, I'm just kind of ashamed. He said, I was raised in a Baptist church and my parents took me to church. He said, I'm kind of ashamed at what I don't know about the Bible. He said, I don't really know much about the Bible. He said, that kind of embarrasses me. I'm kind of ashamed of that. Old Dan kind of, kind of stretched out a little bit. He said, the thing that bothers me that concerns me is not what I don't know about the Bible. 
The thing that concerns me is what I do know about the Bible. Does it concern you a little bit that if you're a servant of Jesus Christ, that means that you're an absolute bond slave of His? And that Jesus has said, in essence, before I entrust my life to you, you've got to understand that you belong to me. I'm your owner. You say, well, I've got my rights. I've got some freedom. I got No, you don't. This is not a democracy we're talking about. This is a dictatorship. And Jesus is the dictator. This is not a democracy. And you'll never be invited to cast your vote on whether you want or to do or not do something. This is, a, this is a monarchy and Jesus is the king. And the best form of government is a monarchy if you've got the right kind of king. And when you settle this business that you're his lock, stock, and barrel, settles every issue. Settles the tithing issue. Sometimes people say to me, I'd tithe if I could afford it. That's not the issue. The issue is this. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life or not? Settles the wish, witnessing issue. Some people say to me, I wish I could witness. I'd witness, but I just don't know how. I'm not very good at it. That's not the issue. The question is, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? And when you get that settled, it settles all other issues. And it, and it brings about, it creates two implications. And the first implication is that you get a new life. Now the argument in verse 15, if you'll glance down at that again, is this. Should you be circumcised or not? Now circumcision was a Jewish rite or ceremony, and it was a profound ceremony in Judaism. And these Judaizers were saying to these Christians, now you can't just leave aside, turn away from your Judaistic background. You need to be circumcised. You need to observe these old Jewish laws and customs. And Paul comes along and he says, now those are important, but that's not the most important. The most important thing is that you have a new life. That you're a new creation. A new species of being. Now I ask you this morning, not the question, have you been baptized? Those are, those are important and vital and dynamic. Are you a member of a church? Do you observe the rules and the regulations of your denomination? That's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, are you a new creation? Have you been born again, you see? You have a new life and you have a new lifestyle. For he says in verse 16, he says that you live by these rules. What rules? The slave rules. Now watch this carefully. When you come to Jesus Christ and you embrace Christ in faith and you become a bond servant of Jesus Christ, you get new rules to live by. The slave rules. The Jesus rules. In other words, he's saying that once you become a servant of Jesus Christ, you live from then on with reference to Jesus Graduated from high school when I was 18. Got married. Started college. Now there's a certain freedom and independence about being married and going to college. You know, didn't have to send your grades home to mother and all that kind of good stuff. There's a certain freedom and independence to that. Certain limitations to that. Believe me, I found out two can't live as cheap as one. Cheaply as one. All those kinds of things. So we begin to live our life, you see, with reference to marriage and play by those rules. Third year after we were married, Cindy was born. Started living by the child rule. 
You know how that goes, don't you? You've got children, you know that one. You start living by, you play the game by those rules, the child rules, so that you're, not long, you're no longer free to do as you please, really. You're free to do what parents do. Now, we didn't resent her presence, nor did we ever regret that she came along. We wondered how we could we ever live without her, but we just started living our life by that new set of rules. That's what Paul's talking about. You say, man, that must be a terrible way to live. No, it isn't. Look at what he says in verse 16. He says, and those who walk by this, these rules, peace and mercy shall be upon them. And that word peace, irene in the Greek means the highest level of living comes about when you play by these rules. You know why there are so many Christians who are unhappy and miserable in their Christian life? They're not playing by the slave rules. All right? It symbolizes my position as a slave. Secondly, it symbolizes my pride as a slave. I mean, there's nothing to be ashamed of to be a servant of Jesus Christ, to bear the bar bar marks of the cross. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, I'm paraphrasing it, and now the greatest joy and privilege is this, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. But how would you translate the word, I bear in my body, the marks? How would you translate that word, bear? Would you say, I, I endure the marks? Somebody looks at you and says, you, you look like a Jesus freak to me. You look like a Jesus person. Do you endure that? Do you bear those marks? Do you, is it, do you, would you translate, I suffer along with the marks? Let me tell you how that, what that word means in the Greek. It means to carry triumphantly. It means to wear like a trophy. What Paul is saying is this, I carry like a trophy the marks of the cross upon my life. Never has the flag been so popular. Somebody called about two weeks ago and said, where's the flag? Man, I went back here in the closet, dug it out. We had it stored back there after Bible school, brought it in here. Man, never has the flag been so popular. You watch television this afternoon at the NCAA playoffs. These guys are wearing it sewn. Is it sewn or sewed? Sewn to their uniform. I saw something the other night. I didn't think I'd ever see. I saw our legislators carrying little flags, you know, and they were sitting on the back row of the president when the president made his speech, and at certain times they'd get up and wave those flags. Never has the flag been so popular. We carry it triumphantly. We wear it like a trophy. The Apostle Paul says, you're a child of God. You, you, you're, you, you're characterized by the cross. Carry that like a trophy triumphantly. You don't need to be ashamed of that, young people. Now let me show you what I'm talking about. I want you to turn right quickly to the 21st chapter of Exodus. Now there's Genesis, and then there's Exodus. And I bet you can find it before we're through here. Genesis, Exodus, has a 21st chapter of Exodus. I want you to read along with me. Look at this wonderful, magnificent illustration of just what I'm talking about. Now these are the ordinances which you are to set up before them, that is the nation of Israel. 
If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve you for six years. But on the seventh, he shall go out free as a free man without payment. You, on the seventh year, you let him go free. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. That is, if he's unmarried, when you make him a slave, he go out alone. If he's the husband of a wife, then his wife goes out with him. If he comes in married, she goes out with him married. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master and he shall go out alone. But, look at this, but if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I'll not go out as a free man. I love my master so much, I don't want my freedom. See, I don't want to go out as a free man. He says, if that's the case, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an owl, and he shall serve him permanently. Now I want you to see what's happening here. You got a slave, bond servant, into six years he can go free, but he gets his choice. If he loves his master, he can stay with his master. And if that's the case, they took him out, dedicated him to God, took him over to a post, put his ear up there against the post, his earlobe, and drove a nail through it. Pulled the nail out, had him a little ear, pierced ear there. Had him a little scar on his. And every time somebody saw that pierced ear, they knew that man had chosen bondage. Wow. Says a lot about the slave, doesn't it? Here's a slave who loves to serve. Here's a slave who is so in love with his master that he chooses to be a bondservant permanently for the rest of his life. Says something about the master. Wouldn't you agree? I can just imagine two slaves talking one day. They're across town and they got a different master and Oh, Diogenes, or whatever his name is, says to his buddy, he says, you know, I got a cousin. My cousin's been a slave for six years, and, and the other day he, it came to the end of the six-year period, and he could go free. And he chose to, slay, to stay as a slave. He did. You mean he could have gone free, but he chose, yeah, he, he loves his master so, he decided he'd just stay as a slave. And his friend says, I sure would like to meet his master. Beats what we got. Now what Paul is talking about is this. Is that I have in my life the stigmata of the cross and I have a master so wonderful, I'll serve him for the rest of my life. There is a legend that St. Francis of Assisi was so identified with the cross that little nail prints appeared in his hands and he went around holding his hands out like this all the time. It was called the stigmata so that he could show everybody that he belonged to the master. Let me ask you a hypothetical question. Are you listening? Suppose God came to you, this is a hypothetical, but suppose God came to you and said, I know you don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. I know, I know you want to go to heaven so I'm going to put your name down in the book and you're going to heaven. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how you live your life. 
You don't ever have to come to church. You don't ever have to give. You never have to serve the Lord. You don't ever have to pray. At the end of your life, you'll go to heaven without suffering loss. You'll have everything in heaven that the greatest saint in the world has. Would you still serve Him? Would you take Him up on that? You see, the reason why some people don't sin is because they're afraid they'll get caught if they do. And what God is saying through the Apostle Paul is this, that, that, that the life that, that bears the cross is the life where a person just serves the Lord how the sheer love of the Lord. You know, the happiest person in the world is the person who enjoys doing what he has to do. Now there was a time in my life when I was a slave to my ambitions. I wanted to be the pastor of a you know, big city church. And there was a time when I was a slave to my feelings. Now I've still got some problems with that. Those who know me best, with whom I confide, know I still struggle with that. So that I'd just get my feelings hurt if somebody opposed me, you know, and I'd want to quit the ministry. I wanted to quit so many times. You couldn't count them. Slave of my ambitions. Somebody in the next town getting more people in church than I was. You know, I'd just drive me crazy, you know. So jealous. Now I'm working through that and maybe it's because I'm getting a little older, I'm mellowing out. I hope it's because I'm becoming more and more like God wants me to be, like Jesus is. But I think I can say this morning that there is no bondage like the bondage of ambition and the bondage of feeling and the greatest freedom in the world is just the freedom to serve God for the sheer joy of serving God. For the sheer joy and love of the Lord, you see. You see what I'm saying? And so, like, old, like that old Nazarene preacher one day, somebody took him on a little trip of, around the big city and when he got back home, he prayed this prayer, Lord, I'm grateful that I didn't see anything tonight that I wanted. And so the Paul, Paul says that I've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to me. And what he meant by that was this, as far as I'm concerned, the world is dead. And as far as the world is concerned, I'm dead. And I'm just serving the Lord for the sheer trophy of serving the Lord. One last thought, please. This symbol symbolizes my protection as a slave. Now one of the advantages of being a slave is that you're protected by the owner. Listen to me carefully. The Apostle Paul says, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me. And what he means by that is that when you become a bond slave to Jesus Christ, the only person who can touch you, the, no one can touch you with, for harm without having to deal with your owner. And nobody can touch you to harm you unless the owner permits it, unless the master permits it. So if anybody touches me to harm me, he's going to have to deal with my master. That's a pretty, that's pretty wonderful thought. 
Now, we might go out here this morning and somebody might be have rocked your car with some stones and, took an, and may have taken an iron pipe and, and broken out your windshield. They wouldn't have to deal with me. I mean, I'd sympathize with you about five minutes. I mean, I'd sympathize with you. And I, I might be a little indignant that somebody would do that to you while we were in here. Let me tell you who would have to deal with, with whom that person would have to deal with the person who owns the car. You trouble me, Paul says, and you're going to have to deal with God because I'm his slave. And that's what Zechariah was talking about when God spoke through the prophet and said, He that touches you touches the apple of my eye. You mess around with my people, God says, and you're messing around with the apple of my eye. Hallelujah. And it creates three implications. It implies my sacredness. You see, if I'm His, that makes me special. Makes me sacred. Does God have anything that's not sacred? So that what I do is sacred. It means that I'm sacred. It means that I am safeguarded. Let the world rage. Let, let the enemy assault. Let the adversary roar. I'm in the hollow of his hand, safeguarded. It means that I'm supportive. One thing that a slave didn't have to worry about was what he was going to eat. He didn't have to, be, he didn't have to worry about what he's going to wear. He didn't have to worry about what he's going to, where he's going to live. That was a responsibility of his master. Now I'd like to try to say something profound before we leave. This is the nearest I can get to it. I hope you get it. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the servant totally yielded to him. I want you to get that. He is ready to assume full responsibility for the servant who is totally yielded to him. What you eat, what you wear, where you live. For Jesus said, seek me first the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things I'll take care of. The other day I pulled up behind an old clunker it was sitting over there at a parking at a stop sign, and smoke was boiling up out of the back, and it was just—I thought it must have been scared because it was sitting there just idling and just shaking. It was just, it was just a clunker, and it had all these bumper stickers on the back. It had one big old bumper sticker. It was plastered on the trunk of that car, and the bumper sticker read, "The winner is the person." with the most toys. I'm thinking to myself, if I had that philosophy, I wouldn't put it on the back of an old clunker because it didn't, it didn't bode too much of a winner. Let me tell you who the winner is. Not the person with the most toys. He's the person who has sold his life out as a bond slave to Jesus Christ and has the mark of the cross upon him.
I'll, I'll quit with this. True story. There was a boy in a university there on a scholarship. He was a swimmer. Full scholarship, swimmer. One night, his, he found out his girlfriend had quit him, and he, he, he was really depressed, and he, his, his, he wasn't doing too well in his sport. He was really down. Couldn't sleep. And so he decided he'd go over to the swimming complex and swim a little bit, maybe release some of this tension. He went inside. He had a key. And the only light that was in that swimming complex was the light coming in from the outside, like the street light or the, in the moon. So it's pretty dark. He started around the pool. And normally when he'd go in there, and he'd, first thing he'd do is he'd climb up to the high board and dive in. Normally he'd just kind of put his toe and check the water, but he didn't. And he climbed up on the high board and he got ready to dive in the water. He stretched out his arms to get balance, and he was on the board getting ready. And all of a sudden, he noticed that the light streaming in from the outside caught his body and made the image, the symbol of a cross on the wall, the opposite wall. And so he's standing there, and he's mesmerized by that symbol, that sign, that that image. And he remembers his childhood. He remembers his church, his faith. And he decides he will come down. He's not going to go swim. He's not going to swim. He's going back to his room, get on his knees and get right with God and get in the Bible. So he, he climbs down from the, from the high board and starts down beside the pool. And for the first time, he notices the pool is empty. And had he dived, he would have splattered himself in the bottom of a vacant pool. Jesus, keep me near the cross. Bring its scenes before me. Help me walk from day to day with its shadows for me. Let's pray together. Our Father, help us to re-examine our symbols to see if indeed the way of the cross, self-denial, submission and obedience, servanthood, really characterizes our life. I pray for an honesty to deal with that question and a courage for I pray in Jesus' name.